If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for tuning in and welcome to our show. I am also the CEO of FutureCon Events, which produces cybersecurity events all over North America. FutureCon has been bringing, especially during the last year, great, great content, tons of advice, education, lessons learned through all these challenging times of the ever-evolving cyber threats that we continue to see on the news almost every day. FutureCon Events is a newer company. I founded this company a little over three years ago, and I had a prior company, and we were in, I ran that for 20 years, and I decided that I wanted to rebrand my career with FutureCon, and today we're going to be talking about training, and that is exactly what we do at FutureCon events. Um, in honor of this past Monday, which was International Women's Day, of course, I wanted to make sure that I had a women leader in cybersecurity. So today we're going to discuss how to train cybersecurity teams and how to upskill your teams in training and how to build future leaders. Last week on my show, I had Eddie Doyle, and we were talking about CISOs and cybersecurity teams and how they have to communicate critical information to their organizations. CISOs are always involved with the board, fiscal budget, cybersecurity programs, they continue on a daily basis. Try to, they're always stressing to employees to follow the cyber protocol and cyber hygiene programs. We have highly technical people trying to effectively communicate with non-technical people. So one of the most important things for them is to keep the cyber departments in security awareness training. So today I have Connie Matthews Reynolds. She has been in the information security industry for over 16 years as a trusted advisor. She's worked with hundreds of global and small and medium businesses to build their information security programs. Connie is the founder and CEO of Raycon, which is called REST, which stands for Raycon Educational Services and Training. Her passion for training drove her to start her own company, and now she helps companies with their certifications and training. She is quite the icon in the state of Ohio. She is the president of the Central Ohio ISSA Board. She is the co-chair of the ISSA International. She's an advisor for the security program at Tiffin University. She's the founding member of Empower Women of InfoSec. She is a board member of ICMCP of Central Ohio and an OWASP board member of Central Ohio. She's Volunteer of the Year of ISSA, and she was named the top 181 women in cybersecurity to follow on Twitter. So she is doing everything. So welcome to the show, Connie. Thank you for having me. 
Well, let's start off a little bit, Connie, on just talking a bit about your career. Can you tell us about Raycon Educational Services and training and what inspired you to start that company? Sure. So as you mentioned, I've been in the industry for quite some time. And one of the things that I have obviously noticed um, from day one was the shortage of security professionals and how hard it is to find talent. And honestly, people keep talking about it. And I really wanted to find a way that I potentially could help. I mean, it, it was just a small percentage of moving us forward. Um, I wanted to figure out how we could help organizations bring new talent into their companies, as well as retain, retaining people by investing in people. So rather you're brand new in your career or you're wanting to go into a leadership role, being able to provide training that's going to supplement some of the things and programs that people have in their companies and just have some outside resources for people to use. So um, how long has your company been in existence? And can you tell us a little bit about some of the training you guys are currently? Yeah, sure. So uh, we've been in business for a little over two years. And obviously right now, moving to the cloud is pretty much where everybody is. So we've done some training around cloud security. Um, And the biggest area that I would say that we're getting a lot of conversations around is app security um, and also training individuals that are part of the app teams, you know, like your business analysts, program managers, um, UX developers, and different things like that, and really aligning some of the technology with the business so that there's a more cohesive message uh, for the security team working within the businesses of a company. Um, and then, we're, you know, we do things around some SOC training, um, so Security Operations Center, um, work with some smaller organizations to build out some awareness programs where they can't necessarily afford, you know, a huge uh, company to come in because it's just not going to be in their budget. So working, doing maybe podcasts and webinars and doing on-site um, where, you know, right now, obviously, it's all remote, but once things, you know, settle down, hopefully we can have some FaceTime with people as well. Um, but really, you know, honestly, for me, it was really being being able to be agile and be able to customize training without companies having to spend a ton of money and also coming up with solutions where you have a hybrid solution. So I work very closely with a company called Immersive Labs um, that has individual career pathing and it's very, um, it's an amazing solution. And so some of the clients I'm working with, we're doing a combination and like I said, that blended learning solution. So there's something out there for everybody. Well, that's awesome. Why do you think it's important um, for cybersecurity teams um, to, A, make sure that the teams have security awareness and training? And um, how much, you know, how much training do you think organizations are doing on a weekly basis with their cybersecurity teams? Yeah, so it's interesting. So um, Gartner actually just came out with a report not that long ago where they listed the top 10 things. And Um, For the first time that I can remember, number nine was actually training and development um, within your teams. And so I think a lot of organizations are realizing, honestly, from a retention perspective, if if we invest in our people and we continue to give them pathways to grow and learn, and not everybody wants to be a leader, but you could be an individual contributor that's really strategic and inside a company. And so I think it's super important. And I believe um, more and more companies are investing in very robust awareness programs, whether they bring a partner in or they build that inside. 
um, because I think we all can agree that doing just an awareness video or an awareness day in October, which we normally see that, isn't really going to cut it. And it's really more of a behavioral problem. And so we need to look at how can we train and develop our our staffs. And I truly believe when people make good decisions personally, they tend to make those professionally. So how we can interact awareness messages so that it resonates with, you know, all the individuals within a company. But the training for the technical teams and the governance risk and compliance teams as we know, legislation, regulations, things move so quickly in security. I mean, you think about the cloud as an example. Before COVID, people were kind of taking their time. And we did see anyone that was in the cloud was able to move to a remote work first very quickly. But a lot of people don't have experience in the cloud. So organizations are investing in training that can support that because it does change so quick. So it's always that reinvestment. And one of my favorite sayings is really security is a journey. It's not a destination. And I feel that it is with learning, too, because of those changes continuously. Well, and we're going to talk about that a little bit um, later because there's so much of the human element that goes in align with training. Mm-hmm. But um, I was reading an article last night that Security Magazine said that 65% of the leaders say that security awareness training is not their top priority. And what's your take on that? And do you believe that to be true? I I don't know. From what I'm seeing, I feel like companies are doing more of an investment. And there's a lot of companies out there that have some really super cool solutions that really help larger organizations and mid-sized organizations build out a, re- a pretty robust um, environment for social, you know, for teaching people social engineering and social awareness and all of those types of things. And I'm, I'm actually seeing an uptick. So I would be interested to see like what, you know, maybe who they spoke to. Um, And I know it's always like a challenge and there are some organizations that really want to only do it in October. Um, But I know I work with a lot of pretty large institutions here in Columbus, Ohio, and I feel like most of them um, have made that a priority to build a robust um, awareness programs. And I mean, I think when we all went remote, um, there were a lot of things that were introduced that maybe some organizations weren't facing where they forced people, I don't want to say forced, but everyone had to go to an office every day, Monday through Friday. And now all of a sudden you could control a little bit more within your four walls. Now everybody's everywhere. Um, You know, I actually just had a call today with someone that has a home here in Columbus, but they have a vacation home in Florida. So they're splitting their time because we are working remote and we all know home, you know, home networks, generally speaking, if you're not a security or technical person, they're probably not set up with security in mind. And so that awareness message, I think, is even more crucial now as we look at more of a hybrid or people not working in the office. Well, and I definitely agree with you. And that was just, you know, that was just an article in Security Magazine. It was a couple of months ago. So I was surprised to see that because me, you know, I put these educational conferences on and we definitely are doing more, seeing more, seeing you know, higher level people because mm-hmm. it's so, it's easy for people to get their training right now because they don't have to go anywhere. They can do it yeah. right from home. For but sure. I wanted to kind of break down, I talked about in your, when I was introducing you, some of these organizations that you're involved in and for the newer cybersecurity people or the people that are listening to this show that's thinking about getting into cybersecurity, let's, um, just kind of break down some of these organizations and what they do. Like, let's start with ISSA. Can you just explain to our viewers what that is and why that's important to cybersecurity professionals? 
No, I kind of look at it as ISSA as a hodgepodge of everything. So it's not necessarily, you know, like when we look, think about OWASP, it's specifically around app security. ISSA really, I look at ISSA kind of bringing all of the topics that kind of fall under the security, information security umbrella. And I can say for myself, um, I certainly would not be who I am or where I am today without being involved in the community because it gets you so many opportunities. It also allows you to meet all kinds of amazing people, you know, whether they're going to be a mentor or a coach or someone you're mentoring or coaching. Um, it's just this environment that really brings a cohesiveness of the community and how we all work together. Um, and we, you know, we generally have monthly meetings and most ISSA chapters throughout the United States do the same thing. Um, we're very fortunate in Columbus. We're very collaborative. Um, we're one, of, I believe, one of the top largest ISSA groups here in the Columbus market. And we do a ton of stuff around, you know, speaking and involvement and just pushing people to say, you should get in front of people, tell your story, speak, because there's always going to be someone in the office, you know, audience that resonates with you. And you might never know, you may be that future person's boss, or they could be your boss or your mentor. So it's really all about getting involved um, and giving back to the community as well. Well, and I agree with you. I think it's, as we talk more about some of these organizations, I have to say one of the last live events was last year in Los Angeles. And we had, you know, we always work with the nonprofits and ISSA, ISACA was there, CSA, OWASP, and they would all have, they were kind of in the corner of 40 booths and they loved, you know, because they're all kind of intermingled into each of these different uh, chapters. So let's talk a little bit about, so first of all, can you tell us what does ISSA stand for? So it's the Information Security Systems Association. Okay, so now let's move over to um, ISA, ISACA. So, because I know you provide that kind of training, so yeah. can you let, can you tell us about what kind of training they provide and kind of break down what a, a just say a mid-manager what are their requirements with these different certifications with, um, let's start with ISACA. Yeah, so ISACA really focuses on the governance, risk, and compliance. And so, you know, that the people in ISACA, there's an organization, is a nonprofit. I mean, it's generally auditors, governance people, risk people. Um, So it's really working with them to understand methodologies and ways of improving overall risk postures of organizations. And, you know, when you talk a little bit about um, what people require, I mean, one of the things I think is sometimes a little hard to gauge is everyone kind of has different viewpoints on certifications, college degrees, combination of both experience. Um, And what you find is some organizations are really about certifications and some are not in the federal space. They tend to want specific certifications to be able to work, in, to even be considered to work in the federal space. On the corporate side, I don't see as many demands around that um, unless it's for a specific job role. And even then, sometimes they would bring someone in that potentially would have more experience than a certification. So it's really a combination of all of those things. And you have to kind of understand every um, company is a little bit different in what their expectations. And sometimes it's, to be quite frank, it maybe whoever's leading that organization has had a good or bad experience with any of those varieties of pathways to get into the industry or to be promoted as well. So is your company helping these cybersecurity professionals or practitioners um, 
with the requirements because although companies don't require them to maybe have these credit hours, don't their certificate, like, don't they have to have so many CP, you know, credit hours per year? Yeah, so like, you know, the C-RISC, the CISSP, I mean, Certified Ethical Hacker, the SAN certs and those things, most of those require a certain amount of CPEs um, to keep those certifications. And so what's really nice is, honestly, like your future con events, and then we run a conference here in Columbus, and then all of these nonprofits that are doing webinars and tech tracks, all of those generally can be counted towards those certifications um, CPEs. And so that's another great way to get involved because if you wait to the last minute and there's, you know, I don't know off the top of my head, like how many CPE credits each of them have, but some of them are, you know, quite a few. And so if you wait till the last minute, you're going to be like, oh my God, how am I going to get these to keep my cert? So that's a, another great reason to attend these conferences, whether they're virtual or in person, hopefully soon um, next year, potentially, or towards the end of this year. Those are great ways to continue to get that, um, those CPEs towards those certifications. And what I'm really finding, honestly, in most organizations, they encourage people if they want to get the certifications, but they really want the training that when they when they come back from going through any of these types of trainings, how can they correlate what they learned in their day-to-day functions? And that was one of the things when I started my company, I really wanted the, the training to be more hands-on. And so I definitely use... Um, industry experts do to all of my training, people that have been in the industry, people that have been consulting, practitioners that not only bring the knowledge of the topic that we're covering, but also being able to correlate what they've seen in the work environments, because I think we all can admit that, you know, I think about like the PMP, which is the project management certification. I know I went through that many years ago and there's the way they teach you, but then there's the reality of what you have to do. And at the end of the day, what the big thing that's never included in any of these certifications is the people aspect. So you have to be able to realize that, okay, yes, this is how it's supposedly supposed to be done based on this certification, but it may have to be done a little bit differently within an organization because everybody looks at things a little differently. And again, that human aspect is a part that's not always part of certification pass. So do you think between like the CISO or the CIO or the CTO, do you think each of those have different types of trainings that they want their teams to go to because they're all three are different roles? Yeah, I definitely think it's, you know, it's depending on the organization. I mean, because a lot of times the CISO reports up to the CIO, even though it seems to be a trend that the CISO and the CIO are going to be going up different pathways of, of reporting structure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think definitely, you know, looking at technology and security, it's so, it changes so quickly. It's really hard to expect your people to learn everything on their own. So we do need to invest in people based on what's going on in the organization. And I would say at that C-suite, if I was in that position, I would definitely want to align the training with the initiatives that are going on within my organization um, to make sure that people are being set up for success and we're putting together training pathways um, to really make them be set up for success um, versus just throwing them in into a pit and figuring out how they're going to get out of that if they don't understand something. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. You know, the cloud to me is just a huge application and most people in security have stronger infrastructure backgrounds. And so we're starting to see, that's why I think app security training is so popular right now is because we're having to really 
pivot some people's way of doing things, you know, securing something virtually versus securing a piece of hardware is slightly different. I mean, at the end of the year, the goal is the same, but it's not done the same way. Well, now we're hearing a lot about different teams, red teams, blue teams, purple teams. And I had somebody on a podcast I was doing um, last week and I asked him because it's, it's very confusing. I'm like, what, when you, when you have, and it was the CTO of a company, I was like, when you have somebody that comes and works for you, how do you decide if he goes on that red team or that blue team or that purple team? Because there's really, it's almost just where the person falls. So yeah. how, I, cause those are new words I feel like we're hearing in the last few years. So, so what do you, what's your forecast of that and, and how you separate those different teams? Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, and here's, this is always an interesting concept too. In our industry, we don't always agree what those terms mean. So I've worked for an organization in the past that did a ton of work on the federal side and how they define red, blue, green, purple, black, white. I mean, there's all kinds of colors that are associated and then you get in the corporate world and it's, and sometimes we don't define those things really well, but really, you know, generally a lot of companies don't necessarily have a red team because a red team is kind of like you're emulating, you know, very closely to what attackers are doing. And then you have penetration teams that are working on trying to defend events against the bad people. And so it's really a combination of having those different school skill sets that we bring together. And a lot of times it's a blend of those skill sets. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, a lot of those can carry over depend, no matter what the color of the pen testing team that you're doing. Um, and, you know, unfortunately and unfortunately, some organizations um, can't afford to bring those types of folks in and they're kind of hard to find, the really talented ones. So that's where you see a lot of partnerships with third parties that have really robust teams that can come in and do that type of testing. And quite frankly, a lot of the regulations and the and the you know the compliance issues that companies are are held to do will definitely need uh, a combination of having that third party looking as a you know as a second pair of eyes for validation, um, and a lot of those requirements um, have where you have to use an outside source, but it's also great to have that internally. So when you bring someone in from the outside, you're hoping that that team is kind of fixing the holes and finding the problems. And so when you bring in a third party to look at those types of assessments, hopefully they're not finding as much and you work really closely with both teams to like, you know, lock things down as much as you can from a business perspective. So the CISO has, you know, I feel, I I have so much empathy for the security teams and the CISOs because it's, they don't even get a break anymore. It's like, especially now (laughs) every day something's happening and it usually goes back to what we discussed last week on our show is, you know, the over and over and over training that they have with the non-technical people about don't click on a link, you know, and with social engineering and phishing attacks, um, how, you know, how do you think, I think it starts from the CISO all the way down to your, your mm-hmm. lowest man on the totem pole. What kind of training are they being trained to, to train their non-technical people, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. And I'm really glad that you brought that point up. And when I was kind of talking about earlier about security awareness being more of a behavioral problem than a, you know, a technology problem, what I see, good, bad, or indifferent, a lot of times in organizations, the people that are teaching awareness are extremely technical people. And so they're viewing it and maybe talking about it from their lens. 
and you know, I use an example like, you know, obviously, um, Kim, you and I are more on, you know, the business development relationship side. And if you asked me, okay, I just need you to go do a pen test and I've never done it before. I'm not going to really know what to do. I may figure some of it out by what I do know, but I'm going to be limited in how successful I am. And so what I'm seeing a lot in organizations, they're bringing people with art majors and marketing and sales backgrounds to be part of their awareness training so they can take some of those technical aspects of why awareness is important and make them more relatable to the the basic end user. Because at the end of the day, you know, they, they are not necessarily technical. And so if we're coming to them from that technical aspect, it can be really challenging. And it's almost kind of like the principal yelling at the kids or a mom parent relationship to a child when you have to, you know, when you have to sit down and talk to your child about doing something wrong. I mean, I know when I was younger, my, I knew everything, my parents didn't. And obviously as we grew older, we realized that we were the ones that were wrong, but I think making, making um, the awareness programs interactive, I mean, we're using, I mean, it's a buzzword, but gamification, interactive, things like that. I mean, I've worked with companies that have worked with outside, you know, companies um, like Living Security in Austin. They have some super cool things of gamification and different types of ways to approach it. And it can be really assigned by people's job responsibilities versus just throwing the same awareness out to everyone. Um, and it does take a lot of effort to be able to do that. And that's what's great about, you know, having so many people out there um, that can support those efforts if you can't build that internally. And I love that you're talking about gamification because I'm actually trying to figure out how to incorporate that into some of our events. I'm speaking with someone now because that is just, um, yeah, there's so many. What, what kind of gamifications are you seeing recently that are intriguing to companies? So a lot of them will have like, you know, you can do capture the flag type events that don't have to be extremely technical where you get like, um, you know, different types of people. And then like those escape rooms became super popular. And so I'm seeing things like that, or you're taking a theme where I, there's one organization that I work with, they actually did their awareness program based around kind of the Game of Thrones. And that they had to that, I think, like three years ago, and people are still talking about it today. So it's just kind of doing some tongue in cheek and just kind of and it's also that you can build on awareness and teamwork and all working together and really making sure security is not a department of no. We need to make sure our security people are approachable because honestly, the people that are working within the systems, they know them way better than we will ever know them. So they're going to be the ones that are picking up the anomalies. And so let's leverage that. But we have to have that relationship for that to happen. Not sorry about that. Um, so one of the things that we're getting ready to go to a break in a minute here, but I was talking to my guests last week and we were talking about how, and, and it actually, it happened in Indianapolis. I forgot what company it was, but they were putting like keystroking, you know, regulations on some of their employees. Do you feel like we're reaching a point where instead of training, we're coming more into a a controlled environment because the upper management can't trust what the non-technical people are doing. Yeah. So there's always been this philosophy about, you know, it's, it's really challenging and some of the phishing and the attack vectors are so hard for people to figure out. So I think organizations, what it's getting to is that we have to figure out ways to, to protect the data 
so that it's not being just sent out because people naturally just sometimes click on things and do things that cause companies to be at risk. Um, but it's that balance. Can they do their job? Can they, and it's like, if you lock things down to the point where people can't perform and do their jobs, that's problematic too, because that's what makes the money for the companies. So I think it's really finding that balance um, and, you know, continuing to work with your staff to figure out what makes sense. And it's very important that we keep, you know, we all talk about culture And, you know, nobody wants to work in a controlled environment that you can't, you know, be trusted. Well, we are getting ready to take a short little break and we're going to come back in the second half of our show. We're going to talk about more of leadership and management training and how to build leaders. We've talked about all different types of training that people are always doing. But how do you go to that next step and how is this mid-level, you know, manage, manager in cybersecurity, how does he take the steps to get up to the CISOs? So um, as I said, we'll take a short little bit break and then we will come back and we will move into that. Today I have um, Connie Matthews Reynolds with me and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risks in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to and security for all with Kim Hakem. To reach the show today with your questions or comments for Kim or her guest, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to khakem at futureconevents.com. Now back to and security for all. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kim Hakem your host today. And today on 
our show, we have Connie Matthews Reynolds, and she has been in the information security industry for over 16 years as a trusted advisor. She's the CEO of Raycon Educational Services and Training. In the first half of the show, we've been talking about basic training for cybersecurity professionals and different types of options and challenges of having time to actually even implementing training. So this second half of the show, we're going to focus more on how does the information security manager figure out the, like the blueprint of their career to, for developing advancement and to one day being in, in the same shoes as their CIOs or the CISOs. So, Connie, let's start with that. Where do you think like the basic roadmap begins for that? Yeah, so it's interesting that you bring that conversation up because I think as an industry, we've done a really bad job about career pathing in our industry because for a long time, you either are a practitioner or a leader. And then when you think about like a chief information security officer, there's only a limited amount of those and not every company actually has one. So how do we really design for success and career pathing? And so one of the things that it's been really cool that I've been seeing recently, and I've actually had a couple conversations in the last couple of weeks where organizations are doing like a chief security officer, a chief information security officer, a deputy CISO, and then a BISO, which is a business information security officer. And I absolutely love that because what a great way to take someone on your team that shines and that has leadership experience and you start to just gradually lift them so they don't go from being a practitioner to the CISO. So it really develops some of those soft skills because I think most of us can agree we've all worked for two leaders and then we've worked with managers that it's all about them and it's not about really setting people up for success and a true leader. Like my dad used to tell me, you know, you're only as strong as your people are, praise in public, uh, be constructive, you know, in private and always work with people to uplift them. And so when you think about those types of things, you know, there's not as many um, training options specifically as there are on the technical side for leadership, but there's like Carnegie Mellon, a lot of people will go back and get their master's in business, or they'll go and get a bachelor's in business, or take some type of soft skill, you know, tracks um, through a variety of training. And so a lot of times where I see leaderships really start to grow is when finding a mentor and a coach. And you're not always going to use the same people for every aspects in your career. But I've always in my life, I've always looked up to people that I feel in my mind that have been successful and follow kind of who I am to the core with ethics and values. And I will a lot of times reach out and say, hey, can we sit down? I really love your management style and I can learn from them and I can become a sponge. And I truly believe that no matter where you are in your career, you have to, it's not going to just fall in your lap. You have to work towards it. And sometimes you have to lean in or speak out um, to be recognized. It's not sometimes just the person that does the best job. And I think we've also worked for people that are amazing from a technology perspective, but they're not good managers. And we make that um, that mistake many times where we put someone in a leadership role and they've never managed or led anybody. And then we don't really train and mentor them. And so then it becomes frustrated and then that person may leave or the people underneath them may leave. So I feel like it's just really bringing in multiple resources to provide a career path and a career path of success, because it's one thing to give a person a promotion, but once we give someone a promotion, what does that look like? Is there someone inside that's coaching and mentoring them so that they can be the best that they can be? 
And as you were talking about that, it took me back. I, I keep going back to this Los Angeles show we had last year, probably because we only had a handful of live events. Normally, I can't. We do 30-something events. I can't remember one from the next when we're <laughs> live. But, but we, um, unfortunately... Our shows, they we don't allow students to come. I, I wish we could, but because they're sponsored events and they're educational events and people are coming to get their credit hours, you know, I often wish we could have students because I think there's so many great mentors yeah. out there for them. But occasionally in the live events, we probably we probably allow about 5%. And there was this one particular student that came into my mind, and he was very, very aggressive. He wanted to talk to all the vendors, but there was only a few that would talk to him. And I love that because when I would I talked to the people that talked to him and they said, Well, you know, one day he is gonna be, you know, a CISO, and one mm-hmm. day he is gonna be the one person I'm gonna want to talk to. So why wouldn't I start that relationship? and mentor him now. And I think that that is like advice for these younger students is go to the people, like go to ISSA and get involved in those organizations and cling to the people that, it, you know, because not everyone's going to want anything to do with you because you're younger and not enough experience. The 80% won't, but I feel like the 20% will. And those are the people that you should cling to and follow them because they're usually the leaders, I believe. That's my yeah, and I I think that's a great point, um, Kim. Like our the Central Ohio InfoSec Summit that we've been holding for the last this will be our fourteenth year. About four years ago, we actually created a student track, and we basically worked with colleges and universities um, to send their students. And we like I'm on an advisory role for Tiffin University, and they have an amazing cybersecurity program. And they normally, that college would actually pay and they would send all their students, which their students, there was only like 30 to 60, depending on the year. But so many of those students went into the vendors and got to meet all of these decision makers and practitioners. And many of them opened up doors for jobs when they graduated or internships. And so when I worked with Tiffin, I was connecting um, Scott Blau, who was in charge of theirs with different companies in Columbus and in the Tiffin area. And several of the companies actually brought on their students, their junior and senior years for internships. And, and then we, you know, we got them engaged and we got them involved. And many times um, I work with per schoolists here in Columbus. And when we were in person, I would always let them volunteer so that they would get exposure because these are people that don't have experience. And so it was really cool to see the interactions and vendors and, and you know, and practitioners spending time with them. Um, because they are going to be our future leaders. So we have to invest them. I mean, I think when I go back into my career, there were people that gave me an opportunity, invested in me, and we have to continue that path um, to make sure that we set people up for success. And just to go back a little bit, as I said, we don't allow students. We do allow students to volunteer at our events. Yeah, that's awesome. We had and I have tons of students that intern for me. So yeah. I don't want to sound that callous that no students no. allowed <laughs> because I think it's a great opportunity. Any student that wants to ever come and volunteer at our live events, we can never have enough because we want them because, you know, the sponsors now, now they do. We let them go sit in the sessions and listen because yeah. this is great training for them. Yeah. So we um we work with a lot of students around the country. So um 
we are pro students. It's just that our platform isn't a student platform. There are many, many, many platforms that are student platforms yeah. for our future leaders. So um, how do you think that the C-level teams, do you think that they have, um, how did they prepare and what kind of training do you think that they're, are they thinking about this? Like, what are the roadmaps for our team? How, how do we, because we know at CISO, what is, what did they say the average time a CISO spends at a company? Uh, is it like 18 months or 24 yeah. months? Yeah, like two, like normally a year and a half to two, you know maybe three, but yeah, you don't generally, I mean, there are some that have been around a long time, but that's probably the average tenure. So what do you think? So they know that. So how do you think that they're, you know, preparing their teams to move up? Yeah. So this really kind of goes back to like a true leader to me, you know, I actually had a conversation with a CISO here locally today where he's looking for, his replacement. And I mean, I think a true leader knows that you may only have a small amount of time that you're in their role. And if the company is one that you believe in and it's a mutually beneficial relationship, how do you set that next, you know, person up for success and what do you what do you need to train and develop? And I mean, I'm I've been a big component. I think on the job training is one of the best trainings that you can get, but sometimes it needs to be augmented. Um, and I, I, I still feel like it goes back to having a mentor and a coach. Um, and I know like here in the Columbus market, um, Don Boyan at Huntington and myself started a group for leaderships, leadership. And right before COVID, we were going to try to do a dinner um, once a quarter. And it was like everyone was paying for their own vendor. But the whole um, goal around that was to pair people that wanted to be a CISO or a deputy CISO and it allowed, I think our first event, we had around 60 people and it allowed open communications and being able to meet people. Because I think, again, when you get into leadership, I mean, you can go through, a, you know, specific training, but I just feel like being around successful leaders and seeing what works within who you are um, and leading by example is is a huge component. Um, you know, again, I think a lot of the cybersecurity programs, the bachelor's degrees and the master's. I really focus more on the business side of security. So it's not necessarily teaching you that, you know, the technical component. So I see a lot of people that want to go into leadership roles, go to school, you know, with a, uh, basically a bachelor's or a master's. Um, and if there's not an, you know, cybersecurity, it might be a business master, um, master's of business administration or something like that. Um, so I do, I'm a firm believer. You have to surround yourself with the right team and coaches and mentors to be successful. So um, can you let our listeners know what is the difference between a CISO and a CISO? I mean, we know it's a business information security officer and a chief um, information security officer, but what are the different, you know, what makes them different? And so, I mean, there'll probably be people that may not agree with my definition because, again, it's not superly defined. Um, but the organizations that I know of that that I work with, ABISO is really to work with all of business units, and it's more of a business peer-to-peer relationship where they're supporting the organizations to, to keep security in mind for successful, um, you know, within the business unit. And it's really more of a partnership as well as like working super close with them. Where the CISO is, I feel, is like more of a strategic role. Um, and I mean, let's face it, if, you know, you're a large company and there's 1,000 business units, there's no way a CISO can spend 
time with each one of those business units. So when I look at the BISO is really there to support the business side of security um, and really take what the overall arching goals of cybersecurity is to the organization and helping pushing those out into the group. But that, that having that partnership and mentorship where they're working super close together on specific goals within those business units is kind of the difference in my mind of what I'm seeing. Um, you know, I don't know if everybody does it that way, but that's kind of what I've seen. So is the BISO, is that person, is, have they still came from the tech side of things? So what I've seen most BISOs that I, that I know, um, they started off as technologists, then they might have became an executive VP or a director. So they've had management experience and they've had experience working with the different business units. So what I've seen, it's kind of a combination of people that have you know, management experience, business experience, and technical. Um, and obviously, the higher you go up, at some point, it's really hard to be like deep in the woods um, or deep knee, knee deep into the technology parts just because one person can only know and you really has enough brain cells to take all that in. Um, so it's, you know, so it's kind of a combination. And some, you know, there are some companies that may even bring a salesperson in that has a really strong understanding of security because they know how to talk to the business units. So it really just depends on the organization and what they're looking for. So interesting because, you know, the technical teams are technical, you know, and sometimes maybe it does take the skills of a salesperson to be able to break down what a social engineering attack is or what a phishing attack is, where they can put it in more layman's terms and not so technical terms. But with that being said, so I kind of have a long question, so I'm going to try to break it down so it doesn't seem so complicated. Um, Like with our events, you know, when people come to our events, they earn education credits, but Mm -hmm. you'll have say, hypothetically, 300 people that register. So maybe you have 200 people that come because those 100 people that day, they get caught up with some sort of security problem. They can't leave their organization. They can't even, they can't, even though we're virtual. So where do the priorities lie for ensuring that these organizations are staying safe on a daily basis? Because you're going to have to have training to do that. But if they don't have time to do the training because they're managing, you know, the attacks and the problems. Mm-hmm. How 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 does that happen? Like when where is there a line drawn that there, you have to walk away and get the training to be able to stop the attacks? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, and I think I think it's really a lot of times has to do with leadership and how they place value on training and development and the separation of your personal lives versus your business life. Um, we actually, I was on a uh, women's pod or a webinar last night for a happy hour. And um, a lot of the women talked about that, you know, like, you know, especially if you have young kids, you can't be on call 24 seven. I mean, and it's not just a woman problem. I mean, there's certainly a lot of men that might be raising their children alone too, but I think organizations have to help, individuals understand that it's not it shouldn't be about work 24 7 but i also truly believe that we as individuals have to take ownership on our success and where we want to go and sometimes that does require making sacrifices and so i know some people that they dedicate you know four to five hours a week where they're doing some type of training or reading or listening to podcast 
um, where they're investing in that. And I think one thing with the virtual right now, I know in our conference, we were able to record all of our sessions. So if someone did pay and something happened, they had up to a year to look at um, those, you know, basically rewatch those sessions or take notes. Um, And the PowerPoints were on there and the person speaking and all the Q&A was on the side. So again, you know, if you are so busy that you can't do that, you may have to make some sacrifices. But I'd also say I would encourage you to sit down with your manager and say, look, you know, we, we, I know we're busy, but I do need some time for that, the continuing education because it's only going to make our team stronger. So I think you have to be able to speak up if, you, if you're in a, an organization that's not allowing that. But I'm really starting to see a major trend of organizations understanding that giving people time to train and develop is just as crucial as their day-to-day because it's so easy to get caught up in the weeds and the next thing you know, the technology surpasses you. And then you're like, okay, now what? None of us know what we're doing. So it's really finding a balance, I think. And this is definitely not an industry that you can kind of fake it until you make it. Yeah. <laughs> so so the training is super important. So with the, the training that you all do at Raycon Training, what are the different levels of training and what are you finding right now are the most popular training sessions that you're putting on? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned a little bit about that. So we're doing anything from podcasts to lunch and learns. Um, that would be like, you know, 90 to 120 minutes where we can take, say, a two-day or a three-day or a four-day class and do it as a series. So you don't have to necessarily pull your team away for three full days or four full days. Um, so like when I mentioned earlier, when we basically try to modulize as much as possible, that gives us the opportunity to do those types of things. So um, right now we are doing some lunch and learns around app security and people are loving that approach because it's really hard to pull your developers completely out of, you know, out of sync with the day-to-day functionality in the business. So really being creative with people. Um, and also, I mean, let's face it, I think if you have to sit on a training session on a Zoom or Teams or whatever technology you use, it's really hard. Um, it's not the same like when you're in a classroom where you can get up and stretch or if you need help, the instructor can come over and help you. So, you know, I think being creative with your teams and working with individuals and training companies that can give you that same support. And not everyone can have that model, but that was a model that was super important to me. But I would definitely say um, app security, cloud security, um, teaching, you know, some of the business um, folks on the app development side um, is something that a lot of people are asking. And then we're looking at analytics and how analytics and security crossover. Um, And so we're having conversations with companies on what that looks like. And, and, and I have a partner that's um, very good in analytics and we're working with them and my team to come up with solutions that are going to support the security side of analytics. So what are your thoughts about security training once the world starts to get back to normal? Do you think the industry has figured out it's much easier to do everything virtual or, you do, or do you think it's something very important for industry professionals and leaders to have that networking time together to discuss and can compare issues face-to-face. Do you think, like, we know the virtual world has taken the human element out of training, yeah. definitely, but we just started some polls yesterday at one of our events asking people how many people are going to go back out there and how many people are going to be virtual. It was about 50-50, but what, what's your thoughts on that? So I feel like it's going to, moving forward, it's going to be a hybrid Um and honestly, I mean, 
I think COVID has impacted a lot of organizations from a financial standpoint. So let's face it, doing training virtually is way cheaper than if you have to fly someone to Florida or California or New York, wherever. Um, so you can really um, leverage the dollars a little more. But I, I do truly feel like there's going to be a place for both. Um, and it's going to really vary depending on the organization. Um there are some people that say we'll never go back to the office. I truly don't believe that. I think there's some components that you'll never be able to wrap your heads around when you're all virtual. But I do think a hybrid makes a whole lot of sense where you can kind of give people some of that interaction um, in person when it makes sense. And then there's areas that you can do it in person as well. I'm and sorry, I'm virtually, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I agree because that's at FutureCom what we are in the process of doing because, yeah. you know, one of the things that's been awesome is I've been able to get speakers to keynote my events that I would have never been able to get had they yeah. had to come to the event. Yep. So it's still going to be okay to get that keynote and still have him virtually up yeah. on the screen, still be able to interact with my audience, still have an at-home audience, have a, you know, in in you know, the crowd audience, because there are the people that want to network and see each other because people need other humans. I mean, yeah. you know, life gets really boring without that. So we've got less than three minutes left. I just want to ask you one last question. Sure. If you had to, what would your message be that for those who want to turn, you know, go from mid-manager to leaders? And then what would you give your message to the mid-managers? Like, what advice would you tell them? you know, how to keep climbing the ladder of success? I think, honestly, is you have to make that personal investment in yourself. And then you need to surround yourself with people that you see are succeeding as leaders. And don't be afraid to ask out, to reach out and ask for someone to mentor or coach you. Um, You know, they're either going to say yes or no. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that. But again, I think you kind of just, you you have to kind of find ways to invest in yourself. And a lot of companies actually have programs where you can go through leadership training. So asking the question, putting yourself out there, talking to other people, um, and just being involved in as many things as you can that make sense for you is really important. And how can people find you, Connie, and how can they find out more about your company? So, yeah, so our website is renconsecurity.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn under Connie Matthews Reynolds. I'm happy to connect with anyone if you have questions. Um, and then my email is cmatthews with two T's at renconsecurity.com. Well, thank you so much for joining our show this week. Um, lots of things that we've talked about that, again, um, I'd love to have you back sometime because we didn't even tap into most of the questions that I wanted to ask you today. <laughs> so, um Good luck with everything that you guys are doing in Ohio. And thank you for all of our listeners. If this was your first time tuning in, please come back. You can follow this podcast on any place that you listen to any other podcasts. And next week, we have another great cybersecurity leader. So come back next Friday. And if you have any questions, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can join one of our future con events. So Everyone stay safe, be healthy, and stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget... 
You can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakim. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.